literally we would go and sit in people's homes and see how they used products or how they talked about things. Like it was kind of like this peek into really understanding not how you wanted people to perceive your products or service, but how they actually did and how they used it. And then gleaning insights from that. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings together real world insights to help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up to date on the latest trends. Join us as we bring you the best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end suite of products. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Brian Hopper. Today, I'm super excited to talk to Dylan Nugent on the secret sauce to great ABM. Dylan Nugent is a VP of demand generation at Coros. She started her career in the advertising industry, specializing in highly scalable campaigns for mass marketed consumer brands fueled by cultural drivers and innovation across packaged goods, athletics, fashion, and auto, just to name a few. She then branched into the B2B world, focusing on product innovation with transformation teams that were responsible for experimentation and finding new growth opportunities at their companies. Today, she continues to innovate in the tech industry with both programmatic and account-based strategies. Dylan, I'm really excited to talk to you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So we briefly talked about your history, and you've had a really interesting path to where you are now. Can you tell us uh, a little bit more about your journey from working with an advertising agency to now being a B2B demand gen leader? Sure. It has been a meandering path, but it's always that case where in the rearview mirror, it kind of makes sense, or you see all the connection points. So I started my career, as you said, in advertising. That was my number one goal. I didn't fall into it. It was it was my desire and objective to, to work in advertising. I really was seeking a working environment that did focus on business and growth because I had a mind for understanding that, but I really wanted to have an element of creativity and just a very dynamic business. So advertising kind of fit that bill for me. I also had a great interest in psychology and human behavior. And so all of those things kind of came together when I looked at advertising. That really fed my whole kind of passion around your audience obsession and looking at kind of ethnographic research and anthropology and all of that. It just kind of tied it all together. And to me, agencies really brought together all walks of life. There was just people from different backgrounds that they believed in bringing together to come up with really innovative, creative ideas. So that was where I started. I spent, you know, quite a few years there and um, doing, you know, you name it. And I really loved just tapping into different types of businesses, all the different kind of industries you named and, and more that I could kind of just peek into, become an expert on for a little while and then move on to the next thing. So kind of like a consultant, it gave me just this exposure to such a broad range of businesses. Over time, though, you know, the ad, the ad agency world is is kind of has a high burnout rate. <laughs> it's it's definitely a young person's industry for a reason. And as I grew up a bit more and, and had a family and, and just a desire for a different type of work-life balance, I transitioned into the B2B world and out of agencies and into in-house marketing departments. So that's where I am today. And why tech? I mean, for me, tech really checked a lot of the boxes that advertising did. I think it was where a lot of innovation was happening, whether that like meant like with the products they were creating or just their company cultures were innovative. 
I think tech is a cultural driver the same way that advertising tried to create brands that were driving culture. And it just was where, where so much of the growth is. So that's what attracted me to tech and, and into the B2B space. Awesome. Yeah. And it, it can tell as you're going through these different, even though the industries seem a little bit different, you know, there's a lot of common themes that you, you have through from advertising all the way to what you're doing now as a B2B marketer. You've talked about your philosophy of being a reflection of the audience that you're catering to. And I'm sure that's come up throughout your entire career and a lot of stuff that you've learned that like you said you've you had to become an expert in all these different audiences for your for your clients. Can you tell us more about what that means to you and what that looks like in practice today? Yeah, I think starting back in my ad days, it was literally it was focus groups. It was going and doing these ethnographic studies. Like literally we would go and sit in people's homes and see how they used products or how they talked about things. Like it was kind of like this this peek into really understanding not how you wanted people to perceive your products or service, but how they actually did and how they used it and then gleaning insights from that. So that was always such an aha moment of being able to, to become a more objective. In my B2B experience, I've been really fortunate to market to a lot of marketers. So I feel like I'm kind of cheating. Um, I'm marketing to a lot of people like me who want to buy software and... So that's easy for me to understand. But I do think it is that ability to, whether it's through a formal research vehicle like focus groups or something or not, it is about putting yourself in people's shoes. And I know that's an overused cliche phrase, but I think it's understanding enough about them and how they are today, um, what they think about, the pain they have, the solutions they're seeking. And balancing that with maybe things they're not even thinking about yet, pain they don't even know that they have, solutions they don't know exist. So how do you tap enough into what they already know and realize about themselves in their world and then graduate them into something they may not even realize they need or want? I think that's where the psychology part comes in, but you have to start with where they are. You know, there's so much I read about And it's so true about how technology moves much faster than humans want to change. So there's so many products that are too soon to market, right? People, great idea. People aren't ready for it, right? And and sometimes it sticks around and finally catches on. Sometimes it, it dies on the vine. But I think it's just honestly becoming a student of your audience and understanding whether it's your company, you know, develops personas or starts talking to current customers or talking to prospects you know, through your networks or, or through your own company, that's the way to really understand and, and learn from them and then gain insights that help you talk to them in a way that is relevant and believable. Yeah. And you just mentioned something. Technology moves faster than people are willing to change. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, the world of B2B marketing is changing all the time. Mm-hmm. And even in the last just few years, it's changed exponentially, especially with how People and companies not only consume content, but also evaluate and purchase products or, or solutions or services. But having said that, what are the, some of the challenges that you're facing with all those changes and, and as a demand gen leader? And, and how do you approach them? How do you make sure that you're, you're staying on top and doing all these things that you just mentioned with the rapidly changing world? Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, I think that's, but I think it's actually my favorite part of the job is, is that intersection. And I think... You know, we'll hit on this a bit later, but I, I love this idea of being a generalist. 
And mm-hmm. that has served me in, in what I do because I look for inspiration or education or information from in so many different corners that may not seem like an obvious place. But, you know, when you think about the rapidly changing market that we're in, you're looking at everything from, yes, is technology changing, economic conditions, you know, social and cultural drivers that are happening, what movements are happening in the world, what's the, what's the mood of the, of the country, of the world right now, what's on people's minds, are they feeling risk averse, you know, what are all these influences that do translate into them purchasing your software or purchasing your product, which where it might seem very, very far removed, but everything feeds into kind of this melting pot. So I don't know that I have like a prescriptive, this is how you do it. You have to follow these steps and check these boxes. It's more constantly becoming a student of, you know, culture as well. And to me, culture embodies the economy, the market innovations that are happening, social movements, all of that. That's all part of of culture. And how is culture really driving what people think and feel and do? So I think you're you're just constantly, you're looking at data for sure um, in terms of your own data that you have in terms of how how are my messages being engaged with? How much are people responding? What are we selling? What are we, what business are we losing? You know, all of those kind of KPIs that you're constantly monitoring. But at the same time, I think it's like keeping your finger on the pulse of just things that seem really far removed, but yet they all find a way into the psyche of our buyer. And how is that going to impact us? How can we capitalize on some of those things that are happening? And then how do we sidestep other things that are happening that could negatively impact uh, how we sell to people. It's a really good point. And you said, you know, you know, it's not easy. I think if it was easy, there wouldn't be a need for, for people like you. And it's really, but it is very difficult. It's, it's really, what's easy is for people to get locked in on their industry, what their product or solution is, and not take in, you know, all the either macroeconomic factors or even microeconomic factors that can influence their, their business, even though they think they can't. I do want to talk about the generalist thing. That's really um, interesting point that you made, but I want to take a quick step back. You mentioned when you're trying to get in the mind of your uh, of your your prospective buyers or even your clients, you mentioned that you talk to a lot of customers and you use those insights to help you know you bring in new business and marketing to, to new companies. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you do that and what you look for and how you apply that to your demand gen strategies? Yeah, I think it's something I wish I did more, to be honest. I think, you know, our customers are far and wide. I definitely am always urging my company, and I would say to anybody to do the same, to get customers more in front of the company. I think the companies that know who they sell to, it, like at every level of the company and every corner of the company that they know that customer, those are customer-centric companies. You know, whether it's it's you know, your, your Amazon or... REI or these companies that are very, very customer centric, you know, they all understand everybody from accounting to people that work in the call centers, you name it, they know who the customer is. And I think it's the companies that do a really good job of putting those customers in front of their, the people who work for them are, are the ones that excel there. So it's kind of simple, right? It's like, you just have to introduce them to everybody and continue the conversation, like create a dialogue that company-wide Everybody can, in some way, participate, even if it's one way. Because otherwise, I think we expect people to know about the ideal customer or the prospect. But yeah, we've really taught them you know, very little about it. So 
I seek out, I think the easiest way is that at our events that we do, I always looking for opportunities. And this has been hard the past couple of years, but to go face-to-face with, with any of our customers, I work a lot through sales. Sometimes I just ask if I can observe and listen on a call. I'll listen to gong recordings just to hear how they're talking, the language they're using. Those are some of the ways I just I try to get in front of customers. And I also always urge my CMO and CEO, like, can we invite more customers to our company meetings? Like, just to talk to us about what we're doing for them. Like, I think that's just a great reminder of like the end user, because some of us are so far from that end user. So those are some of the ways I seek out customer exposure. So that's a really good, uh, really good point, Dylan. I think it's really easy to get caught up on, you know, just like with the internal materials that your company save, what your customers really, really um, value and focus on. But it's an entirely different thing to go out of your way and talk to your customers and have them speak to you candidly about what's working and what's not working and what they like or, or don't like. And I think that's a really great segue to our next question. And I want to talk about, you know, you said talked about being a generalist. Because I think we all assume it's really great to be an expert in what you're doing and really specialize in your career. But, you know, you talked about being a generalist, especially when you think about your role as a demand gen leader. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, how you approach being a generalist and how you, how you use it, I guess, in your role? Yeah, I am here to dispel that myth that we have to be experts. I just couldn't disagree more. I think we have to know enough about enough, right? I think we have to know, and, and it, it's always been this, you know, criticism that sometimes you say, oh, the, that person, they're, they're a mile wide but an inch deep. There are times when you need to recognize that you need to go a little deeper on something and have a better understanding. But as you move up in your career and the more you oversee, the more you can't be an expert in everything. So I think just setting that expectation right for yourself. And, and, and probably if you're trying to be an expert in too many things, you're probably not delegating, probably not developing your people enough to be able to, for them to be the experts. So I am, I'm a big believer in this idea of being a generalist. I've seen it contribute so much to my career and just my point of view on things that, like I said, I, the minute I start getting hot on a topic, like I'll look for some podcasts on it, or I'll you know, see something in the New York Times about it. I'll, I'll seek out some information. And then it's like, it starts just appearing in my life constantly. I mean, it, it really is amazing how when you put an idea in your head or out in the universe, it start, you start attracting it or you start seeing it more. Maybe that's the difference is that you're just more aware of it than you used to be. Maybe it was always there. But I think this is such a big part of being a demand generation leader because you are always looking for ways to drive more growth. And as we all know, you know, customers are fickle, human behavior changes. So many of these factors we talked about outside of your control are going to impact how people take in your message, you know, how they might use a a channel that you're using. And we all know that there's no one magic silver bullet. There's no one channel or one tactic or activity. that's going to drive all your growth. And the minute you overuse it is the minute that you get the, the law of diminishing returns, right? So um, having that broad portfolio, just like you know, with your investments, is where you get your greatest return. And I think that that so that generalist attitude really helps feed that. It's always looking in a maybe under a different rock for a different idea, a different tactic, a different venue, a different partnership, a different influencer that you could be working with. Like it's it's trying to find different ways in. That is. That, that to me really feeds innovation is when you are seeking information from 
multiple corners, right? You're not looking, you're not going mm-hmm. to the same mine every time and, and trying to create something new. So I think it, the world's always changing. The market's always changing. Your competitors are changing. So if you're, if you're trying to, to seeking to be a generalist, you are looking for inspiration and information in a lot of different places. And I think that's where it, that's what feeds new ideas for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, you successfully inspired me to be more of a generalist. It sounds like it, it gives you a, a, a you know, different lenses to, to view the world through even problems. Cause I mean, you guys, in, in the marketing world, solve problems every single day. Your whole job is about solving problems, about how, and like you said, keeping up with how the world is changing. So I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be more of a generalist. <laughs> on, on that note, is there a book or a blog or a newsletter or like a website that you would recommend to our listeners um, about any of the topics that we talked about? Yes. So on the topic of generalists, what really turned me onto this was this book called range by David Epstein. I can't recommend it enough. It's, so thought-provoking. It's very research-based, but it is very readable. I did it. I read it. I did not do the audio version, but I think audio would be great too. It is the opposite of the helicopter parent type thing. I don't have to be so deep and so so much of an expert or so hovering over something so much. I can kind of sit back and take in more. There's just really fascinating research about how the argument they make in this book is... The problems we have today are so complex and unpredictable. So with that, generalists are primed to solve those problems more, whereas experts are more focused on, are are better at solving problems that are more predictable and repeatable and, you know, more siloed in a way. And there's, there's, we need experts, right? It's not making that argument about that, but it's, there's just so many paths crossing with problems in the world today that we need people who have walked many different paths to have that ability to, to relate different information to, to find new solutions. So that is an amazing book. I've loved it. I've passed it on to everybody I know, family members, the colleagues, you name it. And David Epstein is just a really interesting researcher, writer. So he's great. I would also say as far as another influencer I love is Adam Grant. He's an organizational psychologist. He's a professor at Wharton who Follow him on Instagram because he has just these great, awesome nuggets of information. A lot about definitely more focused on business and being a manager, but also interpersonal. He talks about grief. I mean, you name it. Like he's got some, he really spans some interesting, some interesting topics, but I find him just inspirational and he gives me a great little tidbit like almost every day on Instagram. I'm really inspired by the organization that is called Chief. If you're not familiar, it's, it's a private membership network that is all about connecting and supporting women executive leaders. And I believe in terms of the membership, it's like VPs and above, but it is, they, they, they created this newsletter that I think is really great. It's just a good curation of like articles, topics, trends. Certainly it has more of a, a lean on, on female um, focused leaders or things in the headlines around, around female leadership. but. That's one that I always find some inspiration from. I mean, one of my old go-tos is the Sunday New York Times. I mean, I love, I love how broad that issue is every week. I try to read through it as much as I can. Some weeks are better than others. But I mean, everything from like the style section to the business section to the book review, it, there's so many interesting, cool trends that I could name that I have been reading for the past 20 years in the New York Times that I, I read about in a Sunday issue that became a new buzzword 
a new trend, a new movement everyone is talking about. So that also feeds me. I feel like it gives me that really well-rounded like view on, on things going on in the world. So those would be, those would be some of my top ones. Great. Well, thank you for the recommendations. I think our listeners will really appreciate them. And the insights you've, you've given us on today's episode have been great. We really appreciate you taking the time. We would love to have more people you know, like you on the show. Do you have anyone else or, or other people at B2B tech um, who lead go-to-market teams or data science teams that you would recommend we bring on the show? Absolutely. I have three. I mean, do you want names now? Uh, yeah, if you have them, let's do it. Okay. I haven't talked to any of these people, by the way, but um, they are all friends or colleagues of mine. Nick Basfar was one of my former bosses. He led go-to-market teams for my go-to-market team that I was on, and then also for several startups. He's since broken out and now consults on his own for go-to-market teams that are growing and how to scale and take it to the next level. So he's just a wealth of knowledge and always breaks it down to like really simplistic but powerful findings and terms. So he's, he's amazing. Megan Pompa is a marketing chief of staff at Logic Monitor, which is a, a B2B tech software company. She's just really insightful. I went through some training with her. We're both part of the Vista network, the private, private equity network. And she's just uh, one of those that you look at and you think probably is 10 years older than she really is because she's just an old soul. But she's amazing as well. And then lastly, I would say Jason Beltran. He is head of marketing at a startup called Sunbit. And he headed up product marketing at a company that I worked at previously. Now he's overseeing all of marketing just really smart. And I think he'd have a different take on kind of coming from that product, more of a product background, but he would be an excellent guest on the show. Great. Thank you. And I can't say this enough, Dylan, but we really enjoyed having you on, on the episode today. I think, you know, you, you have a unique perspective on, on how to view things, especially with your, your, your background and your views on being a generalist and how you approach uh, the marketing world. So we really appreciate having, having you on the show. So Dylan, how can our listeners get connected with you? Yeah, I would welcome any connections on LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn all the time. It's always a tab open on my browser. So I'm always looking for new connections and and I'm very present there. So I think find me on LinkedIn. I think then you know from there, I'd love to connect with more people. So Dylan, can't say this enough. Thank you so much for being on the show. I think your insights uh, for our listeners will be really, really helpful. So thanks for being on our show today. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV. 